HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to the Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Katie Kiefer. Today we're broadcasting live from the Young Farmers Conference at Stone Barns in Pocantico Hills, New York. We want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts and the Stone Barns Center for Food and Agriculture for making this coverage possible today. Um, my guest uh, is Anthony Mayant. Anthony is uh, a restaurateur, but more importantly, he is the genius behind Zero Food Waste, a project that he began in California. Um, Anthony, talk to us a little bit about uh, how you came to create this um, entity, Zero Food Waste. Sure. Uh, Did super. I say Zero Food Print? Zero, zero Food Print. Zero Food Print. Sorry. Thanks. Zero no, no, food works. Print. And actually, that kind of speaks towards some of the, um, some of the disconnect between what current efforts are in food and sustainability and sort of what they need to be. Um, Because in a lot of ways, there's a focus on conservation, like doing less harm, waste less food. And really one of, as we heard from an earlier talk a moment ago, one of the biggest and most practical solutions to the climate crisis is billions of acres of farmland becoming part of the solution and restoring the atmospheric carbon that actually used to be in the soil. Yeah. Um, And so... I came to this understanding in a pretty roundabout way. Uh, I started doing pop-ups in San Francisco in 2008. And this was... Pop-up restaurants. Pop-up restaurants. But it was before the term pop-up even existed. Uh I think in some ways the phrase was coined to describe what was happening. And that turned into a permanent pop-up, which was called Mission Chinese, uh, which is ostensibly a weird party Chinese restaurant. Um, My friend and the chef and business partner, uh, Danny Bowen, moved to New York and opened in what can only be considered like a unassuming Thai takeout window. Really? And then the restaurant won New York Times Restaurant of the Year in 2012. No kidding. That's fantastic. And so we sort of found ourselves in these celebrity chef circles, you know, rubbing shoulders with like the number one chef in the world, you know, unearned maybe from a culinary perspective. But at some point we, my wife and I had a daughter and started realizing like, geez, like no chefs are really working on climate change. Yeah. 
like maybe we need to use our access and our platform um, to really try to use that part of the food economy to make a difference. So zero food print grew out of sort of like thinking about the next generation. For sure. Essentially. And, and so when, re when you talk about zero food print in, in restaurants, um, what does that mean exactly? So you're, you're trying to not only uh, source correctly, if I can use that word, sure. um, but you are also, uh, you are also thinking about the farmers who you're buying from, how they are actually doing their farming. Is that what you're, is that the, the, the game of this, the, the sort of the end? Yeah, exactly. So at, at the beginning, it is what you were describing, which, which is kind of like do an analysis of the restaurant, figure out the carbon footprint of the restaurant, you know, make changes, maybe renewable energy, maybe make different choices on the menu, like mm. use less beef from a feedlot and these kinds of choices. Uh -huh. Over time, in the past few years, um, I think there's been a lot of new science, biogeochemistry, <laughs> among others, um, kind of sh telling a new story about farming and the food system. And to me, that story is that it's not really just about making different choices of what we buy, but that we need to kind of use our, our ability, our, the food economy, essentially, to actually fund a shift in the farming practices. And so right. we've shifted our focus from just kind of like making recommendations about operations and stuff to sort of using the money that restaurants are putting in to actually fund changes on farmland. So what that means though, when I was reading about you, in the brief moment that I was <laughs> given to read about you, um, what I understood is that your, one of your plans is to actually charge, put a little upcharge on the menu um, depending on what the item is. So for instance, if somebody orders a strip steak, um, you're going to charge a little extra, not just because the animal was raised by a farmer and it's locally sourced, which often adds a lot of cost to a menu for a chef, but also to kind of um, mitigate the, uh, the sort of, or, or to assist the farmer in doing better practices on the farm. Is that, am I making that sense? Yeah, um, I think you could view our approach to something that's along the same lines as how renewable energy has made advances. Uh -huh. And so if you imagine like the utilities company for, you know, uh, for a region, they might tell consumers like, you know, we're gonna add a $5 charge each month, you can opt out, and we're gonna use that money to improve the grid of energy, right? And right. switch it gradually to renewable energy. The food system doesn't really have that approach. No, it does not. And so this charge, whether it be like an extra dollar on a burger, whether a restaurant adds 1%, it's basically a way to do that, to improve the grid. And right. so we're, our belief, in a way, is that customers, citizens, are marching for you know policy change on climate. Yes. And everybody kind of wants a way to solve the problem. And... What's amazing to me is that science is kind of showing there is a way to solve the problem. And, right. you know, in, like, if we can do a thought experiment and let's say, like, a scientist at Exxon created a new invention and you could put a couple drops of this invention in the gas and it would make no pollution. Right. That would be pretty amazing. It would be. And then imagine if that same scientist and his team kept working on it and then the next year, the version actually allowed that, you know, you put a drop in your tank, and then instead of 
polluting, it takes carbon out of the atmosphere and burns it to make more gas for the car, right? That would be like, you know, scientists would win the Nobel Prize, like global warming would be solved, all these things. Food and soil are actually offering that opportunity. You know, and yeah, it's, it's on a scale that has to be pretty big, though, right? Yeah, and but it but it basically means saving the world can come down to like just saving a few acres of it at a time. So let's go back to the restaurants that are doing this. How do consumers respond to that? Are they responding, uh, you know, uh, with uh, approbation? Are they saying, "Wahoo, this is my new favorite restaurant because you're doing this," or do they say, "Why should I be concerned about this?" Uh, does it really matter if I pay an extra 1%? How is that going to change the food system? How do you sell that story to your consumers? Um, so to me, like the two-second pitch if I'm walking by is like, you know, where does the money go? The money goes towards renewable farming and renewable energy uh -huh. projects. Okay, you know, that that's cool. If people really dive in, then almost every time the, you know, the thought process is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's even possible. That's amazing. Right. So far at Mission Chinese in the past year um, in San Francisco, we've done this and actually I wanted to kind of like stress test it and deal with angry customers if that arose and figure out what worked. So for us, it was a 3% charge. Ooh. And so that's quite a lot, you know, yes, it in, is. in theory. Over the year, one party of two opted out and one party of four opted out. And so we've served maybe like 35,000 people. Amazing. That's fantastic. So to me, it sort of suggests that whether people don't even notice or whether they notice and in a way they, this is their entry point to actually engage with climate solutions, you know, the only reason not to do it is inconveniencing that party of two. <laughs> and, right? and that's not a reason not to do anything. Right, right. So talk a little bit about um, this program that you're launching in January, Restore California. What's that about? Um, so we, we kind of presented this work to people at the state of California, a department called the Air Resources Board, and they oversee the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which is all the money coming in from cap and trade. Uh-huh. And so they, California is unique in that it has a program called the Healthy Soils Program, right. which is paying farmers to essentially reverse global warming. And the problem is just that there's not enough money. Yeah. Like hundreds of farmers apply, a few are selected. Any funding that goes towards that, you know, it could have gone towards something else. It's a really limited funding pool. Right. And so again, and so they were very excited basically to to embark on a public-private collaboration to engage consumers in this work that ostensibly has a lot of public benefit, but which you know policymakers don't necessarily have like the political will and, and ability to just push through because of the constraints of, of politics and stuff. So Yes, and the constraints of doing business as usual. Right, exactly. Which is very profitable for right. those who are doing business as usual. Exactly. Let's talk for let's roll it back just for a second. I sure. want you to explain when you talk about, um, say, for example, this program or the Healthy Soils Initiative in, in California, and hundreds of farmers are applying, what is it that they need funding for? Explain to people what, what it means to be a farmer and to engage in that work. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of practices. They, they essentially are just good practices. Um, many farmers know all of these practices. Mm -hmm. They're conservation practices like compost application, cover cropping, managing the way cattle graze, you know, and the only difference is that 
scientists have now not only recognized how important this is, but also are kind of able to estimate how beneficial they are, like how many tons of carbon this practice will take out of the atmosphere in this region if uh -huh. you're a tomato farmer or if you're a rancher or whatever. And so that ability to estimate it is allowing society, I guess, to like connect the dots and actually fund those practices because they want to achieve those outcomes. Right, right. And you've brought a book along called Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Why did you bring that book? Well, so we, I talked about the Sparty restaurant, Mission Chinese Food, but we also ran a restaurant called The Perennial, and we were sourcing ingredients that were trying to tell this story. Um, we were baking bread from a perennial grain called Kernza. Uh, we had a whole animal butchery program from beef uh, that was f from cows that were raised through this kind of process, like carbon ranching. Right. And shortly after that, this book came out that sort of like, you know, to me, like validated a lot of the things we were trying to showcase. And, you know, I wanted to just bring this because if, if you're interested in solutions to global warming, in a lot of ways, this is like the playbook. Right. And so a lot of climate experts came together to identify and quantify all these solutions. Uh, you know, basically what it, what it finds overall is that if we adopt these solutions at just the plausible rate of adoption, we can solve global warming. What would be the plausible rate of adoption? What do you mean well, by that? Um, for, each, for each category, it's different. So for like solar panels, you know, the experts in renewable energy say, you know, okay, I think we could get to like 63% renewable energy or whatever it is. Uh -huh. But so for each different strategy, whether it's, you know, wind turbines or regenerative farming, they estimate that rate. So overall, we could solve it. The cost would be 1% of GDP only. Okay. And so that's like quite optimistic to me. And yeah. then <laughs> it also kind of quantifies the, the role of food and farming and so food and farming related solutions are about half of the total. And in society, they get almost no funding. Right. And then overall, the f all the solutions have a, a benefit, like the whole suite of practices, you know, it makes almost like two or three dollars per dollar invested. Like there's a reason to do it anyway. It's like a new green economy. Uh -huh. But the food and farming related solutions, like, you know, managing the way cattle graze, regenerative agriculture, those actually offer a $30 benefit for each dollar invested. For each invested. dollar, wow. And so it's like, it's a no-brainer. Society wants to do this. They just don't know it's an option yet. That's right. And <clears throat> how, do you see this, um, how do you see this scaling? Like, you're in a state that has a particular interest and focus on climate solution. Um, because California faces so many additional burdens on its, you know, in terms of the extreme weather events and the drought and the fire and all of the other stuff. But what about the Midwest? What do you, what do you, what would you say to like, you know, your average um, grain farmer in the Corn Belt or something like that? Like how, how, how can you extrapolate a program like yours into other states where there's going to be a lot of pushback? Um, I think. I could be wrong, of course, because I'm not a farmer in the Corn Belt, but you know, it seems to me that it's very hard to move that needle in those particular areas. Sure, well, the crux of this program, when, it, when you boil it all down, is healthy soil. Right. 
So I, I can't understand who would be against healthy soil, mm. except for like maybe a few, you know, chemical agriculture companies or something. But yeah, you know, pretty <laughs> much every other person in the world should be up for healthy soil. You know, the fact that farming is not renewable, yeah, is insane. Totally crazy. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's just, I'm thinking of it from the point of view of like these giant agricultural conglomerates. And this is where the monopolization of the farming um, you know, industry, I, I guess we'd call it, uh, is, is at its most pernicious, right? Because, because basically now you have a whole uh, you know, generation of farmers that have grown up uh, using Monsanto seeds or Dow DuPont. And those, those companies have kind of a lock on the seed market, so it's very hard, for example, to find um, to find other sources in the quantities that you would need to actually totally change the way you farm. Doing, I mean, lots of people can do cover cropping. It costs some money, and that's something that your project Restore will help them with, right? Restore California. Yeah, that's the goal. Is like literally just to pay for the cover crop seeds, right. to pay for the compost. But I think people don't. Uh, I think people don't recognize just what that costs farmers. Um, and that and that this has to be kind of a national policy move, um, although I you know I think the, the grassroots approach is clearly the only one that's working right now. But how do you see that? I guess my real question is how do you see scaling this out to the point where you actually have uh, people like Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley going, yeah, man, let's support some regenerative farming funding in the farm bill next time around. You know, like I don't. You know, the lock of old white men on, uh, <laughs> yeah, on well, business uh, as usual is a pretty tough boulder to roll, a pill. Yeah, I hear you. And, and again, that's sort of where I think the consumer has a role to play. Because at right. the moment, a consumer buying the really good product, you know, that that's essentially making a choice within an existing food system. Yes. And what we need is to actually just change the food system. And I think that, again, the science is kind of showing that there's so much benefit to actually changing the food system that consumers should be glad to pay 1% at a restaurant to actually change the food system. If you were the person who's got the money to go to the restaurant that does that, I it's, guess is my, you yeah, know, it's I, like, I always go back to like the, 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 the American obsession with cheap food is so powerful. Um, and, you know, outside of the coasts, it's, it's, I don't know how much this message is penetrating to the consumer, and I agree with you. It's voting with your dollar, and that's what's rolled things forward in the last decade, that's for sure. But um, I, I just wonder how but where much this is further a little different you can is go. It's, it's kind of saying that this isn't like pay, buy the $15 grass-fed burger. Right. This is saying McDonald's can send five cents per burger and change its existing supply chain. Right. And that is the change that we actually need. Like that currently is the change the, we need. The food system feels a little bit like, you know, 1% racing to the top and 99% racing to the bottom. Yeah. And this is basically a way for the 99% to restore itself. Right. I love it. I think it's a great program. It's a wonderful thing. So tell people again, it's called Zero Foodprint. Zero Foodprint is kind of the restaurant-facing program. Right, and you won a large award, or not that large, actually, but you won a nice award from the Basque Culinary World. It's called the Basque Culinary World Prize. And, and what was that? Who, who gave you that prize? Um, so it's a collaboration between the Basque government and the um, Basque Culinary Center. Amazing. And it's to recognize chefs who are doing work outside the kitchen. Yeah, amazing. We don't have that here. No, I mean, but... 
hopefully like we hopefully we that. will soon yeah we need to start that you know we need to have more and do you have a big a broad spectrum of chefs who are following your lead and and uh, adopting zero footprint sure i mean some of the best chefs in the world are, are in the program Fantastic. Know, as well as like a corner and, burger shop. So And so people can just literally go to your website and there is a form to fill out that explains kind of what you're signing up for and how to identify your food print. And then you guys consult with them on how to reduce that food print. Is that right? Yeah, uh, there's, yes, more or less. There's a lot of information on the website. And, right. and so... It, restaurants differ and kind of they come in every shape and size. It could yeah. be like the cafeteria at Google or it could be a sandwich shop on the corner. And so it's a little bit more complicated than that, but more or less, yes. That's fantastic. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. Thank you again to the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making our on-tour coverage possible and to Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture for welcoming us here for the Young Farmers Conference. I'm Katie Kiefer, and stay tuned for more. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.